Hang on just a second, guys. Let me get situated. Hey, if you looked at the, uh, the title to this sermon on the bulletin and you got really excited for a bunch of Tolkien references, I hate to disappoint you. Uh, I'm not going to reference Tolkien or The Lord of the Rings uh, quite a bit. So I put this title, I don't know, three or four weeks ago, um, intending to think of The Lord of the Rings, and it just didn't work out. So um, my apologies to those of you guys that are disappointed. All right. <clears throat> okay, I'm ready. Here we go. Hey, do you guys um, remember the days and weeks and months right after September 11th, the terror attacks of uh, 2001? Uh, you remember everybody was hyper vigilant, uh, so everybody was on the lookout for suspicious packages. Everybody knew what the threat level was. Uh, there was all this new security at airports, and people were completely fine with it. Um, we lived with a sense of expectation, right? In the, in, the, in the days, initially it was raw grief, and then there was this sense of expectation, well, this could happen again, so we want to be ready for it. We want to be looking out for uh, the possibility of this happening. And then as the event receded, you know, uh, six months go by, and, and, and thankfully there were no more large-scale attacks, uh, our level of expectations started to go down. So we're becoming less vigilant. Um, and now we're 17 years removed, almost, and, uh, and we've become largely complacent, right? Uh, we don't know what the threat level is. Uh, anybody know? It's, it's yellow. I had to look it up, uh, which means elevated, right? Uh, people routinely, myself included, complain about TSA, that this is a waste of time and, uh, and all that. Um, so we have, we have lost that sense of urgency, that lost that sense of expectation, okay? And this is, in a way, it's similar to what Peter's going to address in uh, the third chapter of Second Peter. He's trying to warn his hearers to guard against complacency. There's, there's false teachers that are saying uh, Christ is not going to return. It, it's not going to happen. And Peter wants to warn people away from that. So we're going to look at chapter 3. Um, but before we do that, I want to review uh, chapters 1 and 2. Okay, And remember I said, it seems like ages ago, right? Three weeks ago, that the entire book of Second Peter, he is concerned with false teaching. He's concerned with false teachers. And, and the way he addressed that was in chapter 1. He said, do these things and you'll guard against false teaching. Um, remember, he said, because we have become partakers in the divine nature and have escaped the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire, we should make every effort to supplement our faith with seven qualities. And he gave those seven qualities. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. And Peter said, if you have these qualities and they're increasing, then you'll be fruitful and you'll be uh, effective in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he, uh, in verses 15, he said, you'll never fall. And that doesn't mean that you won't sin, because we know that that's not the case. You won't fall prey to these false teachers. And then he ended chapter 1 with an appeal 
to remember uh, the prophetic word. Remember, he said, I was an eyewitness to Christ's majesty and coming. I was there on the Mount of Transfiguration when he was transfigured. Uh, but even more than my eyewitness testimony, we have the prophetic word made more sure. So pay attention to that. And then in chapter 2, um, he's going to address false teachers, but he does it in an indirect way that he doesn't call them out by name. Uh, so he doesn't, like in Galatians, where Paul says, you know, Paul calls out the Judaizers. I wish they'd emasculate themselves, those that want you to follow the law. Peter doesn't do that. Instead, what he does is he gives these vivid descriptions of who these people are. He calls them dry springs, mists driven by a storm, irrational creatures of instinct, insatiable for sin, accursed children. So these are really harsh uh, depictions of these false teachers. And he said that they were advocating sexual sin, greediness, and a rejection of authority. Uh, and then he said, uh, but they are going to get what is coming to them. God is going to righteously uh, give them justice. You need not fear that. And in chapter 3, he's going to close out his letter, and he's going to return to some of the themes in the other two chapters. Uh, so he's going to talk about God's promises, and he's going to talk about um, the promises that enable us to live righteous lives. He's going to talk about the coming judgment. He's going to talk about paying attention to the prophetic word. And he's going to add to it, don't only pay attention to the prophetic word, pay attention to the commands of Christ that we, the apostles, have delivered to you. Okay? And don't listen to these false teachers who say that Christ is not coming back. So let's, we're just going to step through this letter. Um, so let's, let's go. On uh, verse 1. He says, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Okay, and Peter says this is the second letter. <clears throat> Excuse me, most commentators believe uh, that he, the first letter is not referring to 1 Peter because it doesn't, uh, it doesn't quite fit the pattern of 2 Peter. So they believe that this is a letter that was lost to us. We just don't have it. Um, kind of like uh, when Paul said uh, there was another Corinthians letter possibly. It's kind of the same thing. We just, we don't know what it is. All right. And he's saying, I'm stirring up your mind, your sincere mind by way of reminder. And so these are people uh, who are um, believers who are in the midst of it. They're standing fast. They're standing firm against the false teachers, and Peter wants to encourage them. That's what he's saying. This is an encouragement to you. And then he goes, you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets. And so since he's addressing a heresy which says Christ is not coming back, the Old Testament prophecies he's referring to are Old Testament prophecies that talk about the day of the Lord. Um, and those are usually referring to the final judgment. Not always, but Typically, it was referring to the final judgment uh, at the end of the age. And the Old Testament, we're going to read a couple here in a minute, but the, the Old Testament passages that talk about the day of the Lord, they often had a sense of imminence or, or nearness or expectation. Look for these things. These, the day of the Lord is coming. It's sure. Look for these. This is what the Lord's going to do. And that's what Peter wants his hearers to understand. Uh, have that same attitude, have that same expectation. Um, 
And also the day of the Lord was also in addition to a time of judgment. It was also usually uh, God said something about a time of salvation. So uh, sometimes you'll hear, I'm going to restore a remnant to Israel. When God was talking about uh, the Babylonian captivities, he said, I'll restore. You'll come back. You'll, you'll live in the land. You'll, um, you'll sit under your own vineyards. Okay? So God was restoring a remnant of Israel. And Peter doesn't address the salvation of Israel the way that Paul does explicitly in, in Romans 11. Um, but he is going to say that God is delaying judgment because he wants people to be saved. Okay, So let's look at a couple of these passages because they're going to help us understand um, kind of what Peter, where Peter's going. The first is from the book of Malachi. Okay, That's the last book of the Old Testament. Uh, it was written... Um, and then there was 400 years, so Malachi, and then there's 400 years of silence from God until uh, Matthew. And this is what he says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. And this is what Isaiah says in chapter 66, uh, 15. For behold, the Lord will come in fire, and his chariots like the whirlwind, to render his anger in fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment and by his sword with all flesh. And those slain by the Lord shall be many. So, so Peter's going to pick up on the imagery of fire in verses 10 and 12 when he talks about how the heavens will end, uh, the earth will be burned up. Um, but in contrast to what the false teachers are saying, uh, that Christ is not going to come back, Peter says, no, listen, uh, Christ is going to return one day in judgment and wrath. Don't, don't be like these guys who are saying that he's not coming back because it's going to be a bad day if you're not in Christ. All right? If, if you're not part of the elect, you're not in Christ, you're uh, just going along, the day of judgment is going to be a bad day for you. And you know, Progressives kind of say, uh, not all progressives, some progressives, uh, talk about the dichotomy between the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? In the Old Testament, God's this angry, vengeful God, uh, but Jesus is all about love and, and love and love and kumbaya and all that. Well, Peter's going to appeal to what Christ said about the coming judgment as well, and, and it's pretty stark also. Uh, if you look at Matthew 24, uh, Jesus is answering questions from his disciples about the end of the age, and this is what he says. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed 
and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an, an, at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay? So, so this, is, this is Jesus who, who is love, right? But he's, he's saying some of the same types of things uh, that the Old Testament prophets. There will come a day, and if you're found in the wrong status with the Lord, uh, you're going to be cut in pieces, put with the hypocrites. So Peter's message, he's, he's trying to beat the horse to death, right? He's saying, don't listen to these guys, because not only do the Old Testament prophets say that God's going to return, Jesus himself said he's going to return. All right, and be like the wise servant, don't be like the wicked servant who's uh, beating his fellow servants and hanging out with drunks. All right, and then so Peter is going to say, uh, continuing on, he's going to say, but remember this that scoffers are going to come. All right, um, in the last days, he said, uh, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. All right, so they want to follow their own sinful desires. They don't want the, the reality of Christ coming to be true because they want to continue doing what they're doing. And he said, remember that they're going to come. They're going to come with scoffing. Uh, he says the last days. So, so this is not some future, uh, some future time. We're, we're in the last days. Uh, and Peter uses the same term in Acts chapter 2 in his sermon in Pentecost when he's, uh, he quotes the prophet Joel. He says, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Okay, so we're, so we're, in, we're in the last days, and we should expect that there will be scoffers. Okay? And the term that he uses for scoffers, it's, it's only uh, in this, in Second Peter and in Jude 18, and it carries the idea uh, these aren't people with an intellectual uh, complaint about Christianity. These are people uh, that are deriding Christianity. Okay, so scoffing. It's, uh, think the Richard Dawkins type of scoffing. All right? Uh, if you have ever listened to Richard Dawkins, uh, he just has utter and complete contempt for Christianity. He compares Christians to evil. Uh, remember, if you've ever read... I've read part of his book, God's Not Great. Um, just a screed against Christianity. It's responsible for all the evils in the world. Christians are stupid. They're, they're duped. Uh, they're being misled. Just on and on and on. Okay, And that's the same type of thing the scoffers are saying. You're foolish to believe this. And Peter uh, is trying to get his readers to say no. Uh, don't listen to these guys no matter what they're saying and no matter how they're saying it uh, listen to the prophetic word listen to the words of Christ which are sure alright um, and Peter's trying to 
we're susceptible to the same type of thing, right? Peter's trying to stiffen the spines of his, his hearers uh, because nobody likes to be mocked for what they believe. Uh, nobody likes to be mocked or made fun of. Uh, and we're the same. And I think in our day and age, uh, with the rise of social media, uh, it's even worse, right? Because you can be mocked by complete strangers uh, for a large audience to see. Well, why do you believe that? That's just dumb, okay? Um, and, and, and Peter is saying, hold fast to the word. Okay, you just hear, it's a drumbeat over and over and over and over and over again, all right? And the reason they're giving um, the reason the scoffers give for not believing is they say that everything has continued since the beginning of time just the way it is. Nothing has changed. Now, there's a philosophy behind that. It's called uniformitarianism. I'm not going to bore you. Uh, Antonia knows. See her afterwards, and she'll tell you all about it. Okay? Uh, but it's a philosophy that said uh, the universe has always been here. It's continued. Uh, it's not going to change. Things just go on as they are. And Peter is saying that's, that's not the case, actually, uh, because God has intervened, and he's going to give an example of the flood. He says God destroyed all life on earth. And he's going to say that the, the scoffers deliberately overlook this one fact. They deliberately, excuse me, deliberately overlook the fact of the flood, right? Because in chapter 2, if you remember, he said the flood, he gave the example of the fallen angels, the flood, and then Sodom and Gomorrah. Those are examples of God's severity and his judgment, right? God, God judged an unrighteous world through the flood, but he saved Noah, all right? And if the flood is true, which it is, uh, then the implications of that are that God interve does intervene in the world and that God is one day going to come back and judge. You know, we've talked about this in Sunday school. Uh, there's ample evidence for the flood. Uh, and Peter says it's just a deliberate tactic to not acknowledge the, the implications of that, that you deny the flood. All right, and he's going he's gonna to talk about uh, the world that existed at that time was destroyed by water. Um, and, but the, he's going to contrast that with fire is going to destroy uh, the next world or the world that exists now, okay? And the, the, the flood judgment was localized, not in the sense that it was a local flood, okay? It was a global flood. Uh, don't panic. It was a global flood, but it was limited to all life on earth, Okay? The coming judgment, Peter's going to say later on, is going to be universal. The heavens will be burned up. The planets will be uh, destroyed. Paul talks about elements being dissolved. Okay, So that's a universal judgment. So Peter's trying to, again, hammer home the point, pay attention to what the word says, because the day of judgment is coming. All right? And then he moves on. He says, uh, the earth was formed by the word of God and is being stored up by the same word for destruction at a later date. All right. And this has a dual meaning. Um, so 
in one sense, it means simply that, that God spoke the world into being. God spoke the universe into being. This is the first chapter of Genesis. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let the dry land uh, be gathered. Let the waters be separated. Let the lights uh, appear. And all of that happened by the word of God. And God is also, um, his decree is holding off judgment, right? Uh, Jesus said, only the Father knows the day and the time of, of the final judgment when I'll return. And so it's by his sovereign decree and command that that's happening. Um, but Peter can also be uh, referring to Christ as the Logos, the Logos, right? The Word of God. And John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And Colossians 1.17 says, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All right? So implicitly, Peter is saying, Jesus created the world, Jesus sustains the world, and Jesus will return to judge the world. All right? So you guys know the joke, right? The, the Sunday school answer is Jesus... Jesus is the answer to everything? Well, it's true. That's what, that's what Peter is saying. All right. Now, Peter's going to give, he's going he's to rebut what the teachers said, and he's going to give a reason for why uh, Christ appears to be slow about returning, because that's the, that's the whole complaint of the teachers. Well, where is he? He said he was coming back, and he hasn't. And the first thing Peter says is, Essentially, well, God is not bound by time. Uh, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. All right, and, and Psalm 90 uh, says the same thing. So God is not bound by time. Uh, you know, for them, th they were talking. This was 30, 30 ish years after Christ. Uh, you know, so they're thinking, well, where is He now? For us, it's two thousand years, two thousand plus years. Uh, so you could makes kind of the same case. Well, where is he? It's been 2,000 years, okay? But, but time is meaningless to God. Everything is proceeding as it should according to God's timeline, all right? And, and we don't understand how God and time interact. Um, you know, uh, if you try to think about it, your mind just kind of slips off into, into somewhere. So, so God is present at the creation of the world. God is present at the end of the world. God is pre present at every time in between all right and we just we don't understand that concept uh, but we can we can be assured that everything is proceeding according to plan and then god will return uh, when it's when it's time so peter says time is not a time is not a good argument but here is a good argument all right in verse 9 he says the lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Okay? So God is being patient. And, and Peter, he makes a personal appeal here. Uh, so he says, God is patient toward you. All right? He assumes that some of the people reading his letter are, are not believers. He says, God is patient toward you, not wanting you to perish, but for you to come to repentance. All right? 
Now I assume that there are some here who are in that category, who are not saved, all right? And, and Peter's personal appeal uh, to his hearers is the same to you, all right? God doesn't want you to perish. God wants you to reach repentance. Today is the day of salvation. If you don't know Christ, uh, turn to him in repentance and faith, all right? And then Peter's going to open this up universally, okay? I'm not not teaching universalism, okay? I am not teaching universalism. Uh, but Peter's going to say that God doesn't want anyone to perish. Uh, he wants all to be saved. And we're not going to get into atonement theory uh, or any of that. What I want to highlight out of here is Peter is saying the, the offer of the gospel is universal. It's given to everyone and it's given freely, even though not all will accept that offer. Okay? Not everybody's going to, even Jesus said, not everyone who comes to me and says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So we know that not everybody's going to be saved, but the offer is out there for anyone. Okay? And how all that works, I don't know. I don't pretend to understand it. I, the scripture teaches it, and I just take it on faith. But what this is, is this passage should give us an encouragement and an incentive to evangelize. Right? Because Peter's going to say in a minute, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. We don't know when the day of the Lord's going to come. So we have this window where we can work. We have this window of evangelism, knowing that God doesn't want people to perish, knowing that God wants people to come to repentance. We have this window of opportunity for us. We need to be about doing what we're supposed to be doing. I read an article this week, and it had a statistic in it that I hope is wrong. Um, so the article said that only 5% of professing evangelical Christians, so that would be hopefully most of us in this room, only 5% had either shared their faith or invited someone to church in the last month. Okay, now I, I'm, going to, I'm going to confess that I'm not a person who shares their faith or invites people to church very often. Okay, for a variety of reasons having to do with access and my own fear and cowardice. Uh, okay, but I hope that's wrong. 5% seems incredibly, incredibly low. But let's just assume, let's assume it's 25%. All right? That means 75% of us are not sharing our faith. Okay? 75% of us are squandering this window of opportunity that we have. All right? We're not sharing the good news, which is what we're called to do. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go and make disciples. All right? And so if the statistic is correct, or even if it's not, let's say it's 40%, okay? 50%. There's still half of us are not doing what we're called to do, okay? And Peter is saying, this window is going to close at some point. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. We won't know when it is. And so we don't know when we're going to lose the opportunity to share the good news. Um, you know, one of the greatest regrets of my life is uh, I was stationed with a person in Germany, uh, and we worked 
10 feet from each other. Uh, we talked about all kinds of things. We talked about what castle we were going to go see this weekend. Um, we talked about uh, the good German beer we were drinking. Uh, we talked about food. We talked about our kids. And for whatever reason, I never shared the gospel with her. Okay? I went to uh, a training in Alabama, and I got a phone call that she had been killed. She had run headlong. She was riding a motorcycle, brand new motorcycle. Uh, she took a corner too, too wide and ran into a truck and was dead instantly. Okay? Now, I firmly believe in the sovereignty of God and that, and that no one who is supposed to be saved will not be. Okay? But I squandered that opportunity. I missed it. Okay? And, and that's what Peter's trying to get us to understand. We don't know. One, we don't know when the day of the Lord will come, right? If we're still alive uh, when it comes. But, but guys, we don't know how long we have, and you don't know how long somebody else has. And, and the sovereignty of God does not negate our responsibility and duty to share the good news. And leave the results up to God. If you knew that Christ was going to return next Wednesday, if you got a text, hey, it's Jesus, I'm coming back. See you next Wednesday. If you got that text, um, would you have some hard conversations? Would, would you stiffen your spine and would, would you walk across the street to your neighbor uh, and not talk about the World Cup? Say, hey, I, I, need to talk, I need to talk to you about Christ. I need to talk to you about Jesus. Where are you at? Um, would you talk to family? Right? I, I hope that all of us would. I hope that all of us would. Okay? Um, Peter's going to close this out. He's, he's, he's going to say, uh, you know, the earth is going to be, it's going to burn up. It's going to be dissolved. Uh, and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Okay, so everything these false teachers are teaching, uh, your sexual sin, your greed, uh, your lack of, a, uh, lack of authority, all that's going to be burned, and it's going to be exposed for what it is, right? The day will reveal what you've put your faith in. And believers are not, believers are also going to face a judgment, okay? Not, not for salvation, but for works, 1 Corinthians 3 talks about the things that we've built will be tested, and they're going to be tested by fire. Uh, if we've built with precious gems or gold, uh, that will all last. If we've built with hay or stubble or straw, you know, we've put our faith in things that are going to burn up, that's going to get burned up. We will ourselves be saved, right? Because Romans 8, nothing can snatch us out of God's hands. We're secure, and I don't want to suggest otherwise. But the things that we do that we've built on are going to be judged and, and and paul says it will be saved but you'll be saved like somebody that came out of a fire and all you've got is the clothes on the on your back all right there's no rewards all right and, and peter doesn't want that to happen to his hearers so in verse 11 he says since the earth is going to burn up what kind of people should you be what kind of people should you be in lives of holiness and godliness? He's contrasting. These people are about immorality. They're about greed. They're about uh, despising authority. Your children of God don't live like that. 
live lives of holiness and God-mindedness, right, which is what the term godliness means. Um, he's going to say, verse 13, we should be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish. He's returning back to chapter 1. Be diligent to make your calling and election sure. Add these qualities to your faith. All right? And, and listen, if we, if we do that, if we do that, we can be like servants who are eagerly anticipating our master's return. Right? Because we'll hear, it should be the goal of all of us to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. If you look at the book of Revelation, when, when God starts raining judgment, what do people do? They hide, right? Because they know that their, their ungodly works are going to be judged, right? We sh- Peter's saying we should live lives that we can joyfully anticipate Christ's return. That Christ is going to come. He's going to be pleased with us. He's gonna, we're going to be like the servant who he's going to give um, more to. Live your life that way. All right. Um, you know, the message of Second Peter, it's still the message we need today. Be diligent in your spiritual growth. Be on guard against false teachers. And be alert for opportunities to bring the good news of salvation to others. Live lives that bring glory to God, now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Father, thank you that uh, you provide all we need dear God, to live lives that that please you, that honor you. Thank you, Father God, for the window of opportunity you've given us to serve, uh, to rescue others, as your word says, and um, from those that are perishing. Father, would you help us to be diligent? Would you help us to be, uh, uh, have that sense of expectation and urgency, uh, dear Lord, to make the most of this time? Uh, Father, would you give us uh, a renewed sense of mission and uh, just the desire to glorify and honor you, dear Lord, with our lives. Amen.